Hey everybody, David Sylvan here again, and welcome back to our new mini podcast series. You might remember this is known as Call of the Wild, Biomimicry for Healthcare Innovation. And as a reminder, this was the live event at the Cleveland Museum of Natural History, August of 2019. Again, bear in mind, uh, be patient. There is going to be some uh, audio drop-in and pick-up. This was a live event, and it all depended on our speaker's proximities to the microphone. You heard from Tricia Brown, co-director of Great Lakes Biomimicry. Now let's hear from Christine Hockman. She is the co-director of Great Lakes Biomimicry. to introduce to the stage, thank you, Christine, who is co-director of Great Lakes Biomimicry, who will be sharing with us some global examples from healthcare. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So my first global example of biomimicry is used in healthcare is a product that's developed. It's called Sharklet, and it's a film that's inspired by shark skin. So we have a need in our hospitals and our doctor's offices and places in the community to keep surfaces clean, free of disease, free of contagions, free of germs. And we have a need in hospitals to turn over rooms fast, so clean the beds and the spaces as quickly as possible to get in more patients, into full hospitals and as a cost-saving measure for hospitals. And we also have an issue of superbugs that have been rising thanks to overuse of antibiotics. Unknowingly, we've created a lot of germs that are very resistant to treatment and they can cause a lot of secondary hospital infections. So it's a real problem. So enter the shark or shark skin in particular. Okay, the word shark. It may conjure up some fear in people, get a little nervous. It might um, conjure up images of the famous Jaws movie, for those of you who have seen it, and thinking about sharks and chasing after people or chomping boats in half. Um, you might even hear the movie's music in your head right now. Or if you're a parent of a young child like myself, baby shark, sorry, too early for that? I'm sorry. But if you look more deeply or at a microscopic level, the shark is an amazing creature. And when you think of sharks, you might be prone to thinking of them as fast moving creatures. But really, unless they're chasing after prey or evading a predator, they're pretty slow moving. They're hanging out in the water and they're not going that fast, but yet their skin is staying clean. If you look at other sea creatures, like whales or sea turtles, you might notice that they'll have buildup of algae or barnacles on their skin or on their shell, but yet the shark is staying clean and it's slow moving. So why the difference? Turns out it's a microscopic difference and it's the skin, which exhibits a roughness that things don't like to stick to like algae or bacteria. So I'm going to show you a very quick video. You can see a shark in its natural habitat and just notice that it's pretty much hanging out and it's other than a few short bursts just circling around slowly. So this was first noticed by Dr. Tony Brennan who was actually looking at sharks and their slow moving yet clean skin properties 
when he was working with the U.S. Navy, now they were looking for a way to defoul ships, meaning defouling meaning keep it clean of algae and barnacle buildup, which makes the ships slower, less efficient. So once he noticed that the microscopic texture of the shark skin, which has a diamond shape to it, and it actually repels bacteria as well. And what happens is the bacteria doesn't like to stick to it, doesn't stick around, so it doesn't colonize, it kind of bounces off. And this led to the development of sharklet technology, which is on the market. So it's a film that uses this microscopic texture. This film can be applied to surfaces in hospitals, doctor's offices, childcare facilities, any high traffic areas, high germ areas, and it actually naturally repels bacteria without the use of antibiotics or solutions, which then in turn not only keeps it clean, but prevents the rise of more superbug super germs. Our next example is Stabilitech Therm SB. And this is a technology that was developed for vaccines and it was based off of the study of some creatures and their ability to survive dehydration in their environment. So across the world, there is a need for vaccinations to prevent disease, to keep people healthy, and to contain outbreaks. But there's a problem. Vaccinations, standard vaccinations, often they're thermally fragile, meaning they need to be kept cold. This is a huge logistic and economic burden when you're trying to keep a medicine cold through manufacturing, distribution, storage at healthcare facility sites, and it makes it really difficult when you're trying to get medicine into developing parts of the world or remote parts of the world that has no infrastructure to handle a full cold chain throughout distribution. So there's also a solution in nature. We have a trifecta here. We have the brine shrimp, nematode, which is a roundworm, and some species of tree frogs. They, they might seem unrelated, but there's a common thread here. So all of these organisms have developed the ability to withstand periods of drought or dehydration in their environment. Okay, so consider the sea monkeys, which are a hybrid form of brine shrimp. Everyone has sea monkeys, didn't they? Okay, raise your hand if you did not have a sea monkey pet. What? You have not lived? The, isn't the marketing amazing? Instant life, instant pets, just add water. How are these creatures brought back to life? Well, it's the same thing as the other creatures I mentioned that were inspiration here. What is happening is these organisms are able to be dehydrated because they use a specialized sugar in their blood called trehalose, and this actually turns them into kind of a glassy, glassified state. It protects their dehydration sensitive materials inside them and then on top of it they go into a state of cryptobiosis where their metabolic activity is reduced so no heartbeat no respiration no muscle movement you think they're dead but they're not they're alive what happens is as soon as the hydration or the humidity comes back in their environment they're plumped back up they're deglassified their metabolic rate resumes and they go on their merry way I'm going to show you a short video of a nematode. So this worm is in a controlled setting and it's in its normal plumped up hydrated state. It's then experiencing dehydration. A researcher gives it some water and it goes back to its normal state.
Don't you love the jazzy music for a worm video? <laughs> That's a great addition. And from what I understand, no worms were harmed in the making of these videos. So the nematode here, as you can see, was dehydrated and rehydrated back up. Um, a company called Stabilitech Biopharma tapped into this mechanism and learned how to create a non-toxic chemical medium for vaccinations that does, allows them to be stored at room temperature. So no refrigeration required. They can actually be stored at a freeze-dried or liquid state. So this removes the need for the extensive cold chain through distribution and allows vaccinations to get to parts of the world that previously couldn't get them in developing or remote parts of the world, keeping people healthy. All right, our next example is um, another worm, MVP, and this is the marine sandcastle worm, and there's currently under development a surgical glue modeled off of this. So the beating heart, it is a difficult place for surgeons to work in, as you could imagine. It is beating, it's contracting, it's slippery, and it's slick with blood. And currently, when you're trying to mend something in that space, you are limited to stitches, which by their very nature, damage tissue as they pierce it, and they don't provide a perfect seal against leaking fluid, or a liquid adhesive, which is pretty standard, but can be toxic to some people if you consider the fact that a resin in it is the main ingredient that gives super glue its stick. Think of what we use super glue for. So I'm not sure if everyone wants that in their heart. So here's where the sandcastle worm comes into play. This is an amazing architect, this little worm MVP. So what it does is it actually collects particles floating in seawater, it secretes a bit of its homemade glue, and then sticks those particles onto a home it makes, a tubular home. And what's really amazing about this is it's doing it in pretty inhospitable conditions. If you think about it, it's in a cold, salty sea. And researchers have found that it can set its own glue in 30 seconds flat in a cold, salty water environment. And some other worms do this same kind of thing, collecting particles and making tubular homes, but this one can build colonies. This beautiful photo shows you a colony of marine sandcastle worm homes, and it's built as a reef, excuse me, it's built as a reef. And this is in the tidal zone, it's a few meters across. And what happens is, as the tide lowers and the water goes down, the worms go in their home and they seal shut. And then when the water level rises, they put their tentacles out and sift the water for food. So that's what they're doing. So I'll show you a video of a worm that's in a controlled setting and there's a researcher giving it some particles and it's dabbing its glue and sticking it on its home. Sometimes inspiration comes in small packages. So research currently under development is PGSA. It's a liquid surgical glue modeled off of this sandcastle worm's secretions. And just like the worms, it is elastic, transparent, and biodegradable. In preclinical trials, it has worked in a dynamic environment like a heart. It has patched up holes in a heart, and it offers great promise. If you consider that every year in the United States alone, 40,000 babies are born with congenital heart defects. Some need multiple surgeries. So this could potentially provide an effective and non-toxic solution for all types of patients, but especially those most delicate and small. Okay, our next example is also under development. It's a surgical staple. 
That is using applications learned from porcupines. So if you have a wound, there's a few ways you could stitch up your flesh. You've got some stitches or you've got staples. Staples are very convenient for people actually doing the work. They're pretty quick. You don't have a needle and thread, but they are metal and they do damage tissue. And if you're moving and your skin is moving, it could be pretty painful. So there are a lot of surgeons and physicians and patients who would like a different option, especially uh, I would say this patient right here. Okay, so I hope by now you've been pleasantly surprised by the entry of creatures I've featured in these examples, and this is no, you know, no exception. The porcupines, you might be thinking, okay, porcupine here. So porcupines have a great defensive mechanism. So their quills stand up, they have a full sheath of them, especially densely packed in their hindquarters area. So if a predator is coming after them and they're running away, they're protected. And what's really dangerous about these quills is that they're barbed at the microscopic level and they can go into flesh really easy, but pulling them out is very difficult and painful. So if you're a predator that has been hit by one of these quills, you're probably going to remember it and avoid a porcupine next time for dinner. So at a microscopic level here, you can see that there are barbs on a porcupine quill. It's not smooth. And Research has shown that entering the flesh, a barbed quill, takes half as much effort to put in, but is four times as difficult to, to remove. So that is pretty painful. I'm going to show you a video of a porcupine, and you can see what, how it's using its quills. It's pretty impressive, isn't it? Yeah, that, that cat's staying away a little bit. So research is currently on looking at a synthetic porcupine quill and testing that. And so this could lead to the development of a medical surgical staple that does have two barbs. And that would allow the staple to be entered into the skin or into the muscle very easily with less force, but those barbs would hold it in place really effectively. The researchers out of CARP labs that are doing this work are estimating that it's about two to five years away from human clinical tests. Okay, so our last global example of a product under development is a three-in-one topical modeled off of, drumroll, hippo sweat. Oh, I said hippo sweat, I did. Um, so currently there are a few products that humans really can't live without. One is bug spray, so you can enjoy the outdoors without getting mosquitoes, and to prevent disease from spreading, like Zika and Lyme disease. There's sunblock to prevent sunburn and skin cancer. And there's antiseptic, which you need if you have a wound and you want to prevent infection. So these researchers thinking about this are looking to make a three-in-one product and they're learning from hippo sweat. So you might be thinking, hippo sweat? Yes, they do. And they actually sweat a red pigmented solution that has been mistaken for blood. So Greeks first noticing this thought that the hippos were in mortal danger and they were bleeding. And I'm sure it's confused many zoo visitors who didn't know any better and saw the sweating hippos, but it's actually red colored for a purpose. At a microscopic level, this pigmented, this pigmented um, sweat is actually scattering UV light. So it's acting like a sunblock. It also has antiseptic and insect repellent capabilities in it. So if you see here in this photo, you can see the sweat on a hippo, and they go between land and water. So they're not just in the water, they're out in the sun, and they fight a lot. And they're not very good fighters, so they end up with a lot of scratches on their skin. So possibly they've evolved to protect themselves from infection because of this. 
Here's a video to show you guys. Take a look. These are hippos out in the sun and you can see the scratches on their skin pretty easy. I know they weren't doing a whole lot, but I like that video. I like that because you can see them in the sun. You know, usually you see them in the water in, in videos and photos. You can see the scratches and there's a baby hippo. And if a baby hippo doesn't warm your heart today, then nothing will. So researchers out of Kyoto Pharmaceutical University in Japan are looking at making this three-in-one topical modeled off of hippo sweat that gives you the sunblock protection, antiseptic, and insect repellent capabilities. So possibly in a few years we'll see some hippo tone or something on the market. Um, so that wraps up my global examples and I really hope that you see these are just a few examples of how learning from biological intelligence is powerful and it could be changing dramatically innovations in our marketplace. Also, I hope this gets you thinking differently. Um, the next speakers are really going to stretch your mind, so get ready for that. Thank you guys. Thanks for your time, everyone. That was part two of the four-part series. We look forward to bringing you part three soon. Catch you then.